On the show today, Rich and I discuss the cheaper alternative to steak, the pork chop, and a cocktail that beat the Nazis. I'm your host, Brad Jackson, and you're listening to September 5th, 2022 edition of Coffee and Co. Sean. So, Rich, it's that time of year where uh, everyone wants to start doing a little more grilling because it's it's a little cooler outside. It's not not 108 degrees anymore. It's maybe just 98 degrees. So you want to be out there doing some grilling. And um, one of the things I think people forget about is the awesome tastiness that is the pork chop. You've been doing some great pork chop work that I want to highlight today. Tell us about the pork chop. So it starts with getting a quality chop. I normally buy from a place, a local place called Bansley Berkshire Farms. Uh, I'll send a link. Uh, I'll tag them on Instagram so that you can follow them. But they are a farm in Harrison, Arkansas, and they have their pigs just out foraging. They're out there eating acorns and this and that and roaming free. So they've got a good life before they uh, end up on your plate, which uh, you know I know is a concern for some people. And they've got... They use uh, specific breeds uh, for the the best quality and uh, the Berkshire in this case, and they've got nice fat on them, which is a very key component of all cooking. I think in the health craze, we've forgotten that, you know, whether you're talking burgers or steaks or pork chops, you want some fat in there because it's going to melt and keep the meat tender while you cook. And that is really the star of these chops. It's, you know, I know a lot of people shy away from eating the fat, but when it's just delicious and melts in your mouth, there is really nothing better on the planet than a good chop. And you can grill them. And what I've been doing is you probably could skip this step. I am a marinade guy, uh, not always, but, uh, I cooked some of these yesterday. I marinated them overnight, uh, in some orange juice, some Wilsonshire sauce, uh, for those who remember Joe Wilson, who Amen. joined us a couple of months ago and, uh, a little b- bit of barbecue rub and some garlic and just let them sit. And then, uh, the other thing you want to do is cook indirect. So I, put them to the side of the grill where there's no heat, let them get cooked up mostly, and then finish them off over the flame to further render that fat a little bit and get a little bit of uh, char and texture on there. And uh, before we go on, I want to make one point. People are afraid of pork and you don't need to be. I, I don't think anyone has died of trichinosis in like the past 70 years, thanks to improvements <laughs> in uh, you know, just general hygiene and processing. And, you know, pork freaks people out. Chicken, yes, be super duper careful with your chicken. But with your pork, if you want to eat that medium or medium well, you're going to be fine. I used to work in a steakhouse where people would sometimes order pork shops medium rare and they scarfed it up and there was never an issue with it. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And, and this brings us back to something we mentioned a few weeks ago, but um, if you're particular or, or you're particularly uh, careful about this, get yourself a good meat thermometer like the meter like we were using a few weeks ago and uh, stick that thing in your pork chop and and know exactly when it is done. Um, that way you don't 
cook the crap out of it and cook all that flavor and and fat out of it. Um, and if you're if you're worried about it being at a particular temperature, you'll know exactly where it is. So you can pull it at the proper time. Um, but you're right. It, pork is not something you have to be concerned about, like perhaps 100 years ago or 200 years ago, for sure. Um, besides, I mean, this is this is good quality meat. As you mentioned, it's well raised. It's well cared for. Um, this is something that you, you don't want to scorch all the flavor out of. No, definitely. And when you're out there looking for your chops, you know, treat it like you would a steak. You know, don't be afraid to go for the bone in or like I said, one with some really nice marbling on the side. You know, pork tenderloins are delicious and they have their place, but there's a reason that you cook them the way they that you normally do, you know, often wrapping them in bacon or something like that because you're trying to introduce the fat back into a very lean cut. And it's just marvelous. And especially with the cost of everything being so up now, a quality pork chop might cost you what a quality steak would cost you, you know, 18 months ago. But uh, that still fits a little easier into most people's budgets than some of the steaks that I've person purchased recently. It's just the prices are insane. And I'm not talking about like, oh, I have to have the finest, you know, Wagyu beef. Just going to the damn grocery store and buying a steak. It's like, wait a minute, this is one steak? Yeah, no, that's a good point. <laughs> and and the thing about the pork chop is that it has a lot of that great flavor, that steakhouse flavor. Like you mentioned, you used to work in a steakhouse. If you go to a really good steakhouse and you get a good pork chop, that's, I mean, that's some damn good eating right there. And so keep in mind that you can do that sort of thing at home just get yourself a quality chop, right? Right. And even though we're coming to the end of the season, uh, one of the places I normally pick these up is a farmer's market. So don't forget that your farmer's market, your modern farmer's market, is going to have some people out there that have their, you know, raise and sell their own pigs at the market. You know, you can find steaks, you can find bacon, sausages. So uh, don't be afraid to go to the to the farmer's market and pick up something special when you're making a special meal. Or if it's just the first day of uh, college football and you want some pork chops. Amen to that. And remember, I mean, and you mentioned this a little bit, but fat is flavor. That's something I remind myself every time I take off my shirt. Um, but, you know, you have to <laughs> you have to remember that when you get a piece of meat, you want it to have some fat on it because that as that fat melts, it keeps the meat juicy and and it introduces flavor into the meat. It's great. Like you don't you don't want a purely lean piece of meat. It's going to be chewy and nasty when it's done. You want something that has a little bit of oomph to it. Exactly. It, like it kills me when, you know, people insist on, you know, and, uh, off topic a little bit, but when people insist on like the, the 93% lean burger, it's like, uh, you know, I could yeah, just no. put a hockey puck between a bun yeah, no. on a bun for you. It would be just as good. Yeah, no, no. I, I like my uh, 80, 20 myself. <laughs> yes. Um, all right. I want to talk about, I want to talk about a great cocktail you discovered that would go really well with a pork chop on a Saturday while you're watching football. Um, you found a cocktail uh, from World War II that uh, was created in Cairo during the German assault in Africa, and uh, it shares the name with the future title for my memoir, which is The Suffering Bastard. Um, <laughs> and uh, I love this cocktail. I love it because, well, particularly because I always have all these parts in my house at all times, but uh, this is a great way to... Just uh, enjoy a great cocktail that has some great history to it. Tell us the story. Before we get to what the Suffering Bastard is, 
tell us the story about the suffering bastard because this is great. So there is a there was a bartender in a famous hotel in Egypt during World War II, and I'm going to I tried to look up pronunciation of his last name and I couldn't find it. It's a S C I A L O M. I think it might be actually Shalom. He was a, a Jewish Egyptian, and he started as a chemist who then found that he enjoyed applying his skill behind the bar rather than in the lab, and at that time you kind of had to make do with what you had. And there weren't a lot of fancy ingredients around. And he came up with this drink that uh, was so popular that the uh, they ended up ordering barrels of it to be shipped to the front lines to help the, the men with their morale and, and everything as they continue to fight against uh, uh, the German leader, Rommel, who had been kind of pummeling them, and they, they turned it around. So like you said, this is the drink that uh, helped win World War II. And it's a, a very simple one to make. Uh, as Brad said, you probably have the ingredients around. You just want to take equal parts, gin, bourbon, lime juice, uh, mix that together, throw in a splash or a couple of drops of Angostura bitters, fill a glass with ice, and then top it off with ginger beer. And it's very similar to a lot of drinks that we've all had, you know, whether it's, you know, the Kentucky Mule or, you know, whatever. But it's the combination of bourbon and gin that I didn't expect it to work, but it actually works very well because you've got, you know, the sweetness and, and the, the, the caramel of the bourbon and then the more floral herbaceousness of the gin they come together with the bitters and the lime juice for the, the brightness and acidity. And then you top it off with a ginger beer that adds, you know, a little bit of sweetness and the punch of the ginger. And it is, insanely refreshing. I can understand why it would help people, you know, get ready to go out and fight their next battle. Here's the thing though. I mean, the, the refreshingness component I think is key because, um, as you mentioned initially, this was a drink that was composed of in Cairo. Okay. Not a place known for being very cool. Um, and, uh, these were British soldiers, uh, going out to fight Rommel in the desert. I mean, these were guys that needed something that was refreshing, that took the edge off, that could give them, the, you know, some inspiration uh, to go out and beat the Nazis. And this drink is it. I mean, it's it it has everything. Um, and that's what I love about it. But also that it's just it's so simple. You don't need a big recipe sheet for this. You don't need to go digging around for some specific bitter or anything like that. This is all stuff you have in your bar. I mean, if the most obscure thing here is ginger beer. And if you've ever had a, a, a pregnant woman in your house, you probably have ginger beer sitting around anyway. Um, ginger beer is great and is great for mixing in cocktails. As you mentioned something like the Kentucky mule, but uh, the way that he combined all this together, it just, it just damn works. It's great. Yeah, it's it's such a fantastic thing. And I'm sure that if he were alive today, he could really explain his thought process behind, well, you know, this, this and this being a chemist. But for us, we just know that we can mix it up and drink it. And as uh, summer is starting to give way to fall, uh, it's still pretty hot out there. And especially if you're standing in front of a grill, you need something refreshing. So give the suffering bastard a shot. <laughs> Give the suffering bastard a shot. There you go. Right, I'm going to put that on a t-shirt or something. Give the suffering bastard a shot. 
Where when I go to Sixth Street, oh. <laughs> that that'll be part of your book tour. Once you release your autobiography, right? Exactly. You know that can be the whole thing. It's the suffering bastard. I've got to give you a shot. <laughs> I like this idea. All right, thanks, Rich. Hey, thank you, Brad. Thank you.